should you ever tell people what you earn at work? Well, so here's the thing about salary transparency. Should you ever cry at work? It used to be don't bring any of your emotions to work. I think work and life are so intertwined, but I would say that. Is work from home here to stay? I don't think so. I think. My name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. First of all, happy anniversary, Lauren. The Career Contessa, your company, is now officially 10 years old. This is a huge achievement. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. How does it feel to have been running this successful thing for so long? Uh, You know, it's so many mixed emotions. I feel like one, 10 years goes by very quickly and also 10 years has gone by very slowly. I feel like I remember every single inch and milestone that we've reached. But I think that it's a huge accomplishment to stick with something and that I'm, I'm super proud of and evolve. And, um, you know, especially after getting through COVID, you know, that's, that's kind of a fun thing to be able to say, like we've been in business for a decade and you know what that means. Yeah, for sure. So when you first thought about starting the company, taking it way back, what was the gap in the career counseling industry, career-wise, what were you looking for at that time? Yeah, well, so I graduated college in 2009. That was a, a, a not the best, you know, time to be looking for a full-time job. There was obviously the financial crisis and the recession that was happening. And eventually, I did land a job. I was working as an administrative assistant for a university. Not glamorous, not fun. Definitely pushed me to the edge. I remember definitely crying in the bathroom, like all the stereotypical things. And when I did want to transition careers, I wanted to get into recruiting. I ended up using informational interviews to help leverage myself from admin assistant to recruiter at Hulu. Now, when I was at Hulu, I was now on the other side of the hiring table. And as someone who had been very involved in like the career center and like reading career blogs, I felt like I was like, getting really expert advice on how to find a job. But then when I was on the other side of the hiring people, I was like, wow, this is very different. The other thing about working at Hulu is at the time I was enrolled in a master's program and I was working on my thesis on millennial women and career resources. And I was, my hypothesis was essentially that there's more women who are entering the workforce now than there's ever been before, but there's not really a career resource that talks to us. At the time, there was LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster.com, all these big things. But this was like before Lean In and any like girl boss era. None of that stuff had happened yet. And what I was trying to get across is like work is different for women. There isn't really anyone talking about it. But there are some role models, right? There were some role models. And for me, I was very interested in like the female leaders at my company. How did they, you know, navigate these weird moments like I would get feedback differently than my male colleague would get feedback and that kind of stuff. So Career Contessa was actually started as like a part of my thesis. I I was actually given a grant to create the very first prototype of the website for my focus groups. 
And I actually just kept it going because I felt like there was a need for it, being a a young woman in tech, kind of navigating early on in my career. And the interesting thing about this gap of resources is now we almost forget because there's so much career advice out there. Like there's people on TikTok and Instagram reels and whatever, giving you tons of advice on your resume. Back, Back in the day, your options were your career center. But once you graduated, there was nothing. And then there were people around you. And though that's what I was trying to do is to try to consolidate the best advice from people who had been there and successfully done that. I didn't want the like textbook answer, right? Because real life is obviously different than what they give you in a textbook. So that was the gap we do try to fill and just to democratize access to this career advice. This shouldn't be only available to the people who you know, their dad's business partner got them a job. Like that's, that's not fair. (laughs) So um, that was, that's been the ultimate goal is to make career advice accessible to everybody. Where did you get the courage to say this resource doesn't exist and I am the one to build it? I mean, I feel like I had been, I was living through it. Right. So I don't know if it was ever one of those things where I was like, I'm going to build this resource and it's going to turn into my career. It was a lot of baby steps. First, it was, I'm going to have an informational interview with somebody. Then I'm going to record the informational interview and transcribe it and turn it into an article. Then I'm going to go on Pinterest and learn how to take photos of people. And maybe they'll let me take photos of them in their career because I wanted a visual piece to, to careers also. I think the courage came from maybe just just having the ability to not be afraid to learn something new or do something new. And I'm to be honest, I'm very thankful to the people who gave me the shot in the beginning. Like they're the ones who had the courage to be like, you don't really know what you're doing. This is brand new and I'm gonna give you an hour of my time anyways. Um and, and so that is the part I think when it comes to building something is like it's almost a good thing that I didn't think about it too far in advance. It started off as one conversation, one interview, one thing here, one thing there. And now it's obviously snowballed in a good way. But yeah, that that was kind of where the, the quote unquote courage came from. It's just from experimenting. Right. So for women hearing this now who see their own gap to fill in the market, what is the first thing that they should do? Yeah, I think the first thing when it comes to your career, so there's a couple of things is people always say, like, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And that's such a big loaded question, right? Like, what is it that you want to do? Marie Forleo has this great quote I love, and it's clarity comes from engagement, not thought. So when you're trying to figure out what you want to do, you can't just sit there and think really hard and proof it comes to you, right? You have to do the self-reflective, you know, introspective work to kind of say, okay, what gives me real, you know, energy? What, what am I energized by? Um, or these, these are the breadcrumbs that I would follow if I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. What gives me energy? What am I probably naturally good at? So you might need to talk to some people who you're close to in your life and say, what do you think are my natural gifts and skills, right? And then also taking note of like assignments you had. So the, the reason why I figured out recruiting was the career I wanted to go into when I was an admin assistant is because I got a random assignment. Someone was out sick one day and at universities, they actually do recruitment, but it's like recruiting two-year college students to transfer to a four-year university. So I got this assignment. I was very energized by that work. It felt like the time passed quickly. I really loved helping people kind of figure out, okay, is this the right school for you? How do you do it? That's a breadcrumb, right? So I followed it and I was like, what other careers use this skill? Then I kept following it and I had lots of, I sent out over 70 informational interview requests to recruiters. Only 30 of them got back to me. So do not let rejection scare you in any way, shape or form. 
But I use those conversations to better understand what skills do I need to transition into this career? How can I, you know, better tailor my resume, my cover letter, those kind of things. So I think that if you are feeling like there's a gap in your career, I think take a moment to pause and reflect, figure out what gives you energy, what are you good at, and what are those breadcrumbs. And and so that could be learning new skills, talking to new people, networking. I mean, I mean, over 70% of jobs are found via networking today. So if you're not having conversations with people and using that as part of your career strategy, you should be. So on the other end of the spectrum, what is the worst thing that they could do? If they see a gap to fill in the market, they want to start something, they want to go find their job, what is the worst thing they could do? <laughs> Let's see. Some bad career moves are taking a job just for title or money. Like that doesn't usually work out long term for you. You'll. I, I remember I, I rode up in the elevator with someone and she was telling the story to her friend. She's like, yeah, she just took a job as so-and-so's assistant. She knew it was going to be terrible. Everyone told her, but it was way more pay. And she's so miserable. She's going to quit. You know, So like those things don't usually pan out. So another big career mistake is letting perfection get in the way of progress. So if I did not want to take that admin assistant job. I felt like a failure. I was embarrassed to tell people, yes, this is the job I have. I would have much rather gone straight to the recruiting job at Hulu, right? Um, but I, if I had let perfection get in the way of that progress, I never would have gotten that job. And so give yourself some grace and some compassion if it's not going exactly how you, you want it to. There's something to be said about people with fixed mindsets versus a growth mindset. A fixed mindset is like, here's all the answers ahead of you. You know how the next five years are going to go exactly. You might think you want that, but you don't. You you want to have that growth mindset of let me not need perfect, but instead be willing to take a bridge job that bridges you from one place to the next. Let me go where my curiosity lies. Let me try this new skill like AI, I have an interest in this. I'm not really sure, but let me, you know, whatever it is. And I, I think a big mistake people have is that fixed mindset, that perfection getting in the way of any progress. That's a great, a great tip. So true. Perfectionism always gets in the way. So bringing it kind of back to the the main theme for this episode, I was so excited to record this with you because I really wanted this episode to be the perfect pocket guide for any job seeker out there, anyone wanting to improve their current work life, anyone wanting to boost or pivot even in their careers, and maybe even entrepreneurs who want to make their own fortunes and earn a lot of money. So I want to distill all of your best advice, starting with the art of the job search. You are about to start looking for a job after a long time at your old job. This is like a scenario, okay? Yeah. So yeah, you're about to start looking for a job after a long time at your old job. What is the very first thing you need to do before you even start that search? Yeah. So the first thing I would do before I start a search, especially if you've been working, is take a time out and write down or start taking note of what are your wins? What, what are things do you hate about your current job? What are your skills right now? What are you interested in? Kind of what I was talking about. What gives you energy? What are you naturally good at? The next thing I would also talk about or think about is what are the things you all hate that you never want to have again? Also, you want to take into account your time frame. How long do you have to look for a job? I just read a stat the other day that as of March 2023, it's taking people about on average five months to find a job. 
So, you know, how much time do you have? Do you have longer than that? Um, you know, while the job market is actually still hot, it is also very competitive, um, which is nothing wrong with that. But it just means like, you know, consider your time frame. There might be things that you, again, take that bridge job in, in on your way to, to the job that you're more interested in. So that's the first thing you want to do is try to get somewhat of an idea of like, where do I want to take my career? The other thing I'm a big fan of is with job searches, because it can feel like this huge, deep, vast ocean of options, which I almost think makes it more confusing, is I encourage people to come up with a list of target companies. You can have lots of different jobs, and you probably will have lots of different jobs throughout your career. Companies are the glue that hold people together. So I love to use this metaphor about glitter and glue, and you could use it for a whole bunch of things. But in your career, glue are the things that hold your career together. And glitter is like the the fancy job title. Yes, it sounds great. But the glue is what you need in order to hold that together for you. So I like to encourage people to come up with target companies. These are companies that align with your values. These are companies that work for the career ideals that you need. Do you need to work hybrid or remote? Do you want something that actually is in person, but you don't want to commute? That's really far. These are very practical things to think about when it comes to your overall career fulfillment. I had a commute for a very long time. And I can tell you during COVID when I got rid of it, it made me happier, you know? So I don't want anyone to lose sight of these practical things. So take a list of kind of your own inventory, your skills, what gives you energy, what you don't want. Take a inventory of what you want in your next company, then try to find that list of target companies. Now, the next question I always get is, where do I find these companies? You can research these companies via LinkedIn, um, their company websites. You can go on, um, there's some cool sites like in her site that literally are like reviews by women of companies. The other thing I like to tell people is think about the products and the services you use all the time that you're like a huge fangirl about without them saying anything. So that's something to consider when you're looking for those target companies. The next step in the job search is we have to get our job search materials ready. That means a great resume. That means an optimized LinkedIn profile. That's going to be a cover letter. And before you guys think that cover letters don't matter, they do. I had a hiring manager who would not look at the resume until the she read the cover letter first of the top candidates. She was very serious. She also went and invited them back. Yeah. Yeah. See? You, I do that. Yeah. A couple of reasons why this is very important is like, and I can't understand why people are so anti-cover letter. I know it's a lot of work to do, but it gives you the opportunity to tell your story one more time in a much more creative way, right? And no matter what job, you need to have good writing skills. So I, I don't understand this. Like, I get that they're not fun to do, but always do it, especially if you're trying to stand out. So those are the things that you need to really prep and do. And then the next thing and the last piece when I, if I was gearing up for a job search is I would take a look at who, where my target companies are and the job titles I want to, and I would start networking, have informational interviews at people at the companies you want to work for, have people within adjacent roles to what you want to do. So peer networking, networking up, um, networking in the industry, warm connections, cold connections, networking is going to be so important to whatever job search you do. You might apply for a job online. You probably will. But then you need to send your resume always to a real person. And you're not going to probably be able to do that without some connections. 
Oh, that's so great. So what I'm hearing here is number one, clarity is your best friend. And when you are embarking on finding a new job, getting crystal clear on everything that you desire, whether it's remote, uh, whether it's salary, whether it's job title, culture, getting crystal clear. And I actually love how you said this because this morning I was recording meditations for Superhuman, my meditation app, and we have these writing meditations. And I literally recorded a writing meditation that is titled create clarity on your ideal job. And it really hones in on this concept. So it's so aligned. And for everyone listening right now, if you want to go check that out, there's a link down in the, in the description, but, um, that's so, so great that you said that. And then also the networking piece is so important. I love that you mentioned that because even from a business owner perspective, when I'm sifting through or my, my recruitment team at this point now is sifting through, um, people that are applying for certain jobs uh, at superhuman, we do not a consider anyone without a cover letter and b there's such a bigger connection when you know somebody through a third party or if they've yes. already reached out or if they've already dm'd us saying that they love our product so totally aligned and this all makes so much sense thank you yeah. for sharing that i will say too like i'm sure you guys do this when we were at hulu we used to ask people what's your favorite show Sometimes they would literally say a show that wasn't on Hulu. It's like the person who is like a diehard for your app. And then like, truly, yeah. you I mean, we can look it up. Have you been a user on the app? Yeah. The other thing, I, just a quick story I want to tell people when you talk about clarity, why this is so important is I was at a job recruitment fair once and for Hulu. So people knew who we were and they would come up to us and they would say, oh, Hulu, what are you guys looking for? And we always replied back, what are you looking for? And the people who gave us very clear answers, I'm looking for this. I have this much experience. This is what I'm going to do next. Super impressive. And we'd be like, either we have that role for you, give us your resume, or we'd be like, you know, we don't have that role yet, but keep your eyes peeled or something like that. But the person who was like, ah, I can do a little of this. I can do a little of that. Not interested. I need you to solve my problem. And I, and I'm hiring people to solve my problem. So like do your research ahead of time and understand that being very clear about who you are, what you can solve is so it's like that confidence of the person you're dating. You want to date the confident person. We want to hire the confident person who's like, I know who I am and I know what I can solve and help with you. So just, sorry, that's a sad story, but it's so, the clarity piece is so important. So important. And that confidence piece is so important. So what is a must have on your cover letter? We were just touching on that, the importance of it. Is there a must have that you recommend everyone includes? Yeah, I like a good creative opening line, something that's going to catch my attention. I remember, and I still remember this, we were hiring um, a marketing coordinator role and the girl had been, she'd been like, there's a, a thing after after you get out of a sorority where you travel around the country and you kind of go to the sororities. And so she had this opening line that was like, what does, you know, 1000 miles, you know, 13 states and yada, yada have in common? Like, something about market. Like I still kind of remember this opening line where she was connecting the dots between what she had been doing, which was not the exact role that we were looking for to what she wanted to do now. And she did it in a really fun and creative way. And it made us want to read more. I think that's also very important. I think the other thing when you're writing um, a cover letter, don't feel like you have to stick to the same basic format of three paragraphs. I've seen people use bullet points to be like, here are my top three skills. Here are the things I made an impact on. I mean, remember it's humans reading these things. So however you want to read a gazillion of these, you know, do it for us too. So I like the opening line. I think that's a, a great way to get them to keep reading. 
And then think about your format with your cover letter. If it's more than a page, do not send it to me. I'm not reading more than a page. So I want to read them, but not more than a page. hundred percent. And I'll add here, maybe it's a personal pet peeve, but when someone misspells something or punctuates something yes. incorrectly on a resume or cover letter, it's actually kind of terrible. I, I don't even care if their experience or their words are amazing. I just sift through it. I just, I go to yeah. the next one because it's a attention to detail, how you do yes. one thing, how you do everything. And I just can't stand a bad writer. Completely agree. I actually, in college, I was interviewing for this job once and I misspelled the word experience, which here's another thing. You think that, you know, Microsoft Word is going to catch everything and they don't because they did not catch experience. And the interviewer just circled it in red over and over and over again. I was like, this is like a horror movie for me. Like, I still remember this to this day. So please proofread. I did not get that job. I've seen people at Hulu and other places um, doing like consulting they just take it and drop it right in the trash. They do not even care. They're done. Cut through. Know. <laughs> yeah, it's very cutthroat. But I, I think you're totally right. It's a, it's a, you're sending a message without sending a message. And um, it's not like accidents don't happen. They do. But man, I learned my lesson for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what about a resume? What does a solid resume look like? And what are some common mistakes that people make on their resume? Yeah. So the common mistake I see is that people either try to put too much information or they're formatting a lot of information in a way that is like, I still can't understand what's important here. So let me talk about how I approach a resume. So I like to start with your master resume. This is the resume that you're going to put everything in the kitchen sink on. Do not send that resume out. This is the resume that you're going to create tailored resumes from. So every time that you are applying for a job, you need to send a very tailored, concise resume for that specific job. That's because resumes and applicant tracking systems, especially, they, they, go, they need keywords to direct them, right? So I've seen some mistakes where people will keyword stuff, like they'll try to put all the important keywords up at the top. These hacks do not work. So this is what you want to do. You want to come up with a resume format. You can do one column or two column. That can be your master. But then when you go and you know tailor it, it's obviously going to be one page with just the tailored experience for that job. Don't do any keyword stuffing. Use the job description to help you identify the keywords that are necessary. And you want to spread them out throughout your resume. The other thing about applicant tracking systems is they they cannot redesign. So they can't read tables and graphics and fancy fonts. So you actually need to have two versions of your resume in addition. You want to have kind of like the basic Microsoft Word version, and then you can have a PDF that you do send directly to a person. The applicant tracking systems usually can't read PDFs either, which is why when you go to submit them online, a lot of times they'll say these are the only file types we can. So like, don't waste your time on the fancy formatting of graphics and fancy fonts and all that stuff for the one that you do send through an applicant tracking system. When it comes to the actual like sections that you should have on your resume, you're going to have your name, contact information. You can just give me your, your phone number and your email. I do not need your address. It's actually pretty outdated. Don't ever put your photo on your resume unless you're in an industry where they say specifically include a a headshot or include a photo. Um, Applicant tracking systems cannot read photos. Also, bias. There are a lot of companies that will actually tell you to any any resume that comes through with a photo, you can't you can't look at it or you can't evaluate it because of bias. Yeah. So so you don't want that photo. Um, And then for the other sections, you can have your your summary at the top. 
then you can have, again, depends on how you do it, but I like to also have skill sections. Now you could do a soft skill section and a technical skill section if there's a lot, or you could just do one skill section. Be really specific. So if your skill is project management, awesome. But then do a dash and then name the software, Asana, Trello, whatever, right? So more specific, the better. Especially if you saw that listed in the job description. The job description is really your key to like what you're going to put on your resume. Um, you're going to have your work experience, potentially your education, depending on how long ago it was. Um, there are plenty of people who will do education, leave off the year, but they've been putting in certificates and other programs that they have that are again relevant. Now, someone who's listening to this might be thinking, I have so many years of experience. How do I do this? Where, you know, I only do it for one page. So what I like to do is a couple things. Under experience, you could say relevant experience, and then you could have a second experience section that says additional experience. That right away cues me. This person has lots of experience. Um, oh, sorry. One more thing to put on your contact information is a link to your LinkedIn. Anybody who I'm serious about with their resume, I'm going to go look on their LinkedIn. So don't feel like we're, we're, we're cutting you off because we're only asking for one page. Your resume summary can also kind of give this away where you can say, I have over 20 years of experience with yada yada, but I'm only seeing three jobs, right? So again, we, we put those pieces together for you. Um, so those are the things you want to put on your resume, but by far the most important thing on your resume is keywords in there and make sure that your bullet points are not just telling me your responsibilities, but they are telling me your accomplishments and even better, the impact that you had at that company. So you want to tell me what you did, how you did it, and the result. And even better, if you can tell me how did that result impact the company? What was the impact? You know, I decreased churn rate for the subscription by 10%, which allowed us to then take that money in savings or that, that additional money and invest it in this other thing. You know, like I want to know not only that you're accomplishing something, but do you understand the big picture of the impact it's having at the role? Because that is what is really important to employers right now is, you know, you don't just sit there and do your job and have zero insight into the fact that this is an entire company working together. So yeah, those are a couple of resume tips. And, and there are so many resume templates and formats out there. So you don't need to get worried about like the, you know, making it look really beautiful. Like I said, have that master one. Then when you go to submit them, have one that's kind of one column, simple, clean in Microsoft Word, and then one that can be a little bit nicer PDF. Great tip. So what about outreach? What are your thoughts when it comes to sending DMs on LinkedIn to the founder or someone else that works at the company? Tell me a little bit about messaging people directly and the etiquette behind that. I'm sure you have some strong opinions about this. I'm sure you've gotten lots of DMs, um, especially when you're hiring. Look, I the, the, the etiquette rules are so interesting because social media kind of changed it a little bit. Like before you just, you, you couldn't email the CEO, right? You didn't have their email. Now you can DM them. I would say there's actually nothing wrong with DMing and sending a message to somebody as long as you're very professional and like, do not harass them. Do not send a message on Monday and then follow up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So, you know, it's actually a really good, a really nice thing to get a very professional message from somebody in your DMs. Like, Hi, my name is Lauren. I recently applied for your XYZ role online. I wanted to follow up with you here because I'm super excited about the role. I have this many years of experience. So it's almost like sending that email of interest yeah. and attach your resume and a link to your LinkedIn. That's the professional way of doing it. Now, if you just DM them, you're like, I applied for this job online, hire me. That isn't, you know, what's the benefit in for you to re respond to that, right? So yeah. 
I'm, I'm not anti DM. I'm anti people doing it in a way where it's all about them and not about the person who they're sending the message to. Yes, that's it. It's not about whether or not you're DMing. It's about what, where your value is being shown. When I get messages on Instagram or LinkedIn, uh, we are currently always hiring. We're, we're really in a, in a growth stage in the company. So we have constant roles up and a recruitment team trying to find people. And I'll often get DMs on LinkedIn from people. And if they just say, Hey, um, I'm looking for a job. Like I saw you guys are hiring. Please let me know, you know, where I can apply or something like that. Instead, I'd love to see, Hey, here are my skills. I've loved your company for years now. And, you know, I feel like I could help with X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, let me know where I can get in touch with your head of recruitment. And anyone that really starts the message with the company in mind and the value that they'll provide less from a selfish perspective of, I want a job. I want to work with you. I would love to work with you. It's more like I can add so much value to you. Let me come and solve your problems for you. Yes. The other thing that's a big pet peeve of mine is if I gave you instructions in the job posting, right? Like send us, submit your resume online, email it to this person, whatever. And then you DM me being like, I saw you're hiring. Where do I submit it? No, it's an absolute no. I'm not even going to respond to that. Yeah. My pet peeve in both interviews, informational interviews, in situations like this is if you can't follow the basic instructions that we've listed there, then why why would I take the time to think that you're the right candidate, right? Like you're making it so clear. And it's like we work for them. Like we're out here giving salaries to people because I don't know, just out of the kindness of our heart. Look, I wish business worked like that, but it doesn't. And um, it's funny, we're, I'm doing like a, a resume review thing yesterday. And it's so interesting because I told people, if you want me to review your resume for this live webinar, this is here's four steps on how to send it to me. I needed it to be a link. I needed it to be sent an email with the subject line so it didn't get lost. The amount of people who did not send it to me like that I'm just going to say it's probably seven out of 10. So that means just by following simple directions, you're in the top 30%. Wow. It's wild. It's really, mm-hmm. Why? Why do people have such a lack of attention to that kind of like, why even spend your time doing it if it's going to be half-assed? <laughs> or I'm sure the, the like the person who gets you in an interview and they ask you a question that you've maybe answered thousands of times on your podcast, on other people's podcasts. Like, how did you get started with the app? It's like, that's the that's the question you want to ask Mimi while you have her undivided attention. What a waste of everyone's time. Instead, ask a question about the future of your company. Where are you growing? Why this role? Whatever. You know, there's so many other questions. So you can tell I'm like heated up about this pet peeve. But I just find that people, they're so close. And yet they, they miss the really easy thing. So these are some easy wins for sure. You know what? You're just saying that just made me really realize that you're right. Like I, when I go on other people's podcasts and they ask me the same questions that I've answered a thousand times before on every podcast I've ever been interviewed on, it's like I've just memorized at this point. So I'm just regurgitating the story that I've always told, how the company was founded, my right. story. I love the interviews when people ask me questions I've never been asked before because I'm just, I get out of this robotic cycle of, yeah. of just regurgitating. So I totally guess what? You remember those people. I mean, <laughs> a lot of times interviews, you have it and then maybe you talk to three different people. Guess what? They all sit in a room afterwards and they talk about the candidates and the memorables 
memorable people, usually the ones who stand out in good ways, are the ones who go to the next round. That's the truth. And asking a robotic question isn't going to help you stand out. All right, you know that I love my rituals and routines. I love feeling good in my life. I love putting good habits in place and being my ultimate self. One of the brands that I consistently use in my health routine is Organifi. You know that I've talked about them for years now. They are one of the only superfood brands that I use. Everything is incredible quality, organic, all made from the best ingredients, no fillers, no BS gross ingredients that a lot of other brands have. And the way I stay consistent while using these products is by habit stacking them in my routine. So I'll use the green juice powder that I mix with cold water and I do a squeeze of fresh lemon juice and ice in the morning. And that's this refreshing drink and it's so full of all the essential minerals and vitamins that you need to feel your best. So what I do with the green juice is I mix it up and then I go sit on my balcony and I listen to a pep talk on Superhuman or I listen to a podcast. I listen to something audible and I sit and I look at the ocean and I drink my greens and I just think about what I'm grateful for. And that is my short, literally a five minute routine that I stick to in the mornings and it just sets me up for the most incredible day. Another one of their products that I use in a routine is lately I've been using the Peak Power pre-workout supplement. It's like a lemonade flavored drink that you have right before you need to really focus or right before you want to work out. And it's really just enhances your motivation and your drive essentially. And we all need that sometimes. I actually haven't had coffee in like seven months. So this is a really, really great tool for me and it doesn't make you crash at all. So I've been using this before working out taking sips of it while I'm getting ready for the gym, or I also use it right before writing for my book, which takes a lot of focus and discipline and willpower. So that one has been game changing for me. And the last one I'm going to tell you about is the Organifi Gold chocolate gold drink. And this is like a healthified hot chocolate. It has barely any sugar. It is all clean, incredible ingredients for you. Tastes incredible and it actually helps you sleep. So I have this with hot water and a dash of plant-based milk at night in the evenings while we are watching TV or if I'm reading a book before bed. And this just really, really sets me up for a beautiful nighttime routine. It curbs that nighttime chocolate craving that I know a lot of us have me especially. So um, yeah, it's it's an all-in-all -in -all incredible drink and all of Organifi's ingredients, like I said, are the best of the best. I have shown these labels to my nutritionist, to a doctor, and everyone has told me, yes, use this brand. So if you want to see what the hype is all about, go to Organifi.com forward slash Mimi. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Mimi and use the code MIMI to get 20% off your entire order, including sale items, and you get a money-back guarantee. So it is literally risk-free. Go try it out. And while you're at it, grab the vegan protein powders as well. They are so good in smoothies. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay, so you are putting yourself out there. You are searching for a job, and you are getting a lot of no's, a lot of rejections. How do you figure out what's going wrong? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes it has nothing to do with you. And I know it's hard to hear because the job search is one of those things where you, you don't have a lot of control over it. And I know how hard that is. And so this is sort of one of those life lessons of like, okay, you don't have control over 
over all these pieces, but figure out what you do have control over, right? So there's that. Um, so sometimes you don't have any control over it. They change their mind. They give it to an internal cl- uh, candidate, yada, yada, yada. And you might not ever know. I will tell you one thing that isn't going to help you get a job more is beating yourself up because of it, right? So learning and practicing some self-compassion. I didn't get that job. I'm not really sure why, but here are some of the things I think I did really well and some things I would like to do different next time. Like that's a much healthier practice than being like, I'm never going to get a job. This was, that was my dream job. Yeah. Yeah. Dream jobs don't exist. So don't worry about that. You didn't miss the, the chance to get your dream job. Um, the other thing I think is really helpful when you are job searching is to find another accountability partner, someone else who's job searching. So you guys can be each other's wing woman, wing man. And, um, I, I did this actually when I was first starting to build my businesses every other Friday, I had a call with another person who was building kind of a similar, she was doing her own career coaching business, but every other Friday we would talk about our wins, our events. And that really helped me stay motivated. I felt like I was able to share this really hard stuff with someone who actually got it. So I'm a big fan. If you can find someone else in your life who's job searching and maybe set up a every other week phone call to kind of check in on each other and your progress. The other thing, if you're getting a lot of rejections, then, and you're like, I am such a shoe in for this. Why am I not getting it? Instead of focusing on your skills and experience, focus on how you're making the interviewer feel. It, at the end of the day, it's humans making decisions about humans, which means interviews are very subjective. We want to make the other person feel like we are listening to them. We are interested in what they're talking about, that we are have some sort of commonality, some common ground that makes us maybe a good culture fit or value fit for this organization. So sometimes jobs go not to the people who are the most experienced, but the people who want it the most. So I'll give you an example of this. When I was interviewing for that job at Hulu, I didn't have prior recruiting experience. And I later found out I was in the final round with another person who did have recruiting experience. And the reason why they picked me over her was because I had done seven or 30 plus informational interviews. I shared that information with them. I was like, I really want this, you know, here's, here's why I'm a good fit for this role. And I was like, I had 30 plus informational interviews to learn about recruiting. I've learned everything about yada, yada. So I wanted it more than that person, right? She was probably like, I've been a recruiter before. I can do this. I can do that. And I was basically saying like, I'm so passionate and so hungry for this role. Take a chance on me, invest in me. And that's another thing that can really help you if you are getting a lot of interviews, but you're not landing the job is how do you make them feel? Are you the person who wants it the most? Can you share some sort of background information that kind of gets them to understand like, okay, they're going above and beyond. They're not just saying like, I have five years of experience. That's why you should hire me. It's like, okay, what else? Um, And I think a lot of people are nervous about doing that because they don't want to come across like they're the stalker. They don't want to say to the interviewee, you know, I looked you up on LinkedIn before this interview and I saw that we both went to XYZ University or I looked you up um, before and I saw that you actually worked at that company. I actually interviewed with them a couple weeks ago and loved it, but it wasn't the right fit or whatever it is. Like now you are creating some commonalities. Now you are finding ways to connect with them. When they say, what do you do for fun? <laughs> Don't give us the rehearsed answer. Say something that you genuinely do for fun. Like, okay, I've been trying to get my 10,000 steps a day. Again, this is all human to human, you know, relationship building. Don't be afraid to show that off. Great. So you get the job. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. What are, after now, all what are, this, you got the job. <laughs> you got the job now. We're still in this in this realm of uh, many different uh, possibilities with this yes. person we're talking about here. So 
all right, you got the job. What are the best ways to make a great first impression on your job or at your job? You know, I'm always very impressed with people who ask questions. I don't like the person who shows up and is just quiet and they're just like a little mouse who doesn't make a noise and they just like take their notes. Like, I'm not very impressed by that, even though I do like that you're taking notes. I think that's very proactive of you. I would be, I would rather have someone show up who's like, I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to listen. I'd love to sit in on things. I'm going to have my notepad, but I'm going to be doing it while I'm interacting. It's going to be a proactive learning versus this, like, I'm just going to react when you ask me, Hey, do you have any questions about anything? Right. Um, so I think that's one of the best ways is to make a great impression is to ask people lots of questions without being annoying. Right. Like there's a fine line of like, sit down with people say, how long have you worked here? What do you love about your job? What's the biggest challenge in your job right now? What's your day to day? Like get to know the people on your team, actually invest your time and energy and make it about them. I think what sometimes people will do when they're new is they'll kind of allow people to make it about you, the new person, like, oh, you're new. Where'd you come from before? What were you doing? So you you end up talking about yourself a lot. Try to flip that script where it's 80% talking to them about them and their experiences and learning about job, asking questions about them and 20% talking about yourself. I think that is a great way to make a good first impression. Amazing. So what about company culture? What are the best ways to figure it out, navigate it and align with it? Yeah, I mean, hopefully you caught some of that in the interview process. Like, and of course, in the interview process, you're going to get the best highlight reel of the company culture, right? Like, we're like a family, we're this, we're that. Um, You're probably going to find out really quickly, um, you know, what it's really like. Um, My my best advice with this is don't go too quickly into any like click or, you know, siloed situation. Um, Try to stay very open minded about being involved um, in, in, you know, whatever meetings, sitting in different places, talking to different people, don't go to lunch with the same person every day, Um, you know, trying not to get too drawn into like that one Slack channel, because at the end of the day, I mean, hopefully the culture is a tough one because it's usually very much the tone has been set and, and managers and leadership have a big piece of that. But also sometimes people who are unhappy at work love to befriend the new person because they're like, oh, a new person to kind of get on my side or this or that. Try to stay open-minded about all of that and not, again, get drawn too much into one side or the other. Um, Because one, (laughs) the goal there at work is to build your own career, right? You're not going to like go through your career with all these other people on you know, together, you're not going to like interview with for a three person job, that kind of thing. But I think a big thing about culture also is like, people who are unhappy at work, unfortunately, are very, they're, they're very skilled at getting other people to also be unhappy at work. And so let's try to like, just keep that open mind and um, see what the culture is like, not from the point of view, the biased point of view of someone who's been there for five years and hates it, (laughs) or something like that. Um, So that's, you know, I've seen that happen, but ultimately at the end of the day, culture and values, that's why it's so important to do that target company list beforehand. You know, before you accept an offer, if you haven't talked to current employees that are there, ask to talk to them. Say, before I accept this offer, I would love to, you know, be able to have a couple phone calls with current team members and see what it's like there. Um, the goal is not to get trapped in this stuff because you didn't do your homework ahead of time. Um, so that that's another thing to really help you as well. That's a great tip. So when 
should you ever or should you ever tell people what you earn at work? Mm. Is this a huge focus? You should always tell people. No, you should um, always. You know, well, so here's the thing about salary transparency. At some point, you know, it's we're all giving or sharing our salaries in the situation of like a give and take, right? Like I'm going to share it with you to hopefully help you, and in hopes that someone will share it with me when I need it, right? So, and um, negotiating for the job offer is really hard without any salary market data research, anything like that. Now you can go use those online um, tools. I mean, even at Career Contessa, we have an anonymous online salary database that's free, but that's not the same as talking to people who are literally in that same job. Maybe not necessarily at that company that might be tough to get it in the job interview process, but in, in similar roles. So let's say that you are a marketing manager and you're working for a big hospital. There's probably someone who's a marketing manager at some other hospital that's kind of similar in size, maybe around the country, and you could try to build a relationship with them and ask them like, hey, I w- I'm, I'm interviewing for this new job or I'm getting a promotion. We have sort of similar roles. What's your current salary right now? Or, or at least a ballpark so I can kind of have a better understanding of what the market rate is. Now, when you're doing this market data research, I always tell people, ask people who have been in their role like max two years just because there's been a lot of salary changes since COVID. Um, so the person who was in their job five years ago there, they might actually be earning less than the market value. Um, as far as like, once you're in a job, should you be sharing it with people? You know, everyone has their comfort level, but staying quiet about salary doesn't really help the employees and only helps the employers. Um, so I think you have to do what your comfort level is. If that's a range, if that's saying like my compensation package is the equivalent of a, of a round that number, but just try to remember like, they can't legally have a policy where you can't share your salary. And also remember that most of the time they have those policies, it's because it benefits them for people to stay quiet about what their salary is. The scary thing about sharing your salary that you have to be really careful of is let's say you, me, Mimi, you and I have the same job at the same company. I make 50,000, you make 80,000. Right away, I'm enraged by that, right? Mimi and I are like the exact same. How is this possible? Before you go to them, and you're like, Mimi told me at lunch that she makes 80,000. First of all, don't ever throw people under the bus after they've helped you out. Um, second of all, before you go and, and try to figure this out, understand and make sure that you are comparing apples to apples <laughs> because maybe it turns out that Mimi manages the biggest clients and those clients are worth XYZ. Maybe Mimi has additional experience or education I wasn't aware of. Maybe, 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 maybe the list goes on. And so we really need to have more of a side-by-side comparison, but it does happen. And especially with men and women, it does happen where there isn't much difference between the two. It's just that he negotiated and you did not And those are the times where salary transparency actually works in your benefit because you can say to them, you know, I, I was talking to John the other day and we have really similar roles. Can you can you share with me the, like, so I can have a more of an understanding of like why his salary is this and why I'm at the lower end of the tier. Why is he at the top of the tier and I'm lower, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like to go in with accusatory tone or, or, you know, action. I would, I like to go in with a curiosity and talking about it that way. I feel like you get way further along in those negotiations. If you come from a place of like, let's work together to figure out the solution versus you did me wrong. And now I will never forget that it's burned in my memory forever. Right. You know, should they should they have paid you the eighty thousand? Should they have made it fair? Should they make it right? Yeah, they should. Um, yeah, but 
if I'm yeah. being really honest, they're probably not going to unless you say something. Right. Totally. That's such great insight. The salary thing is so funny because there's such a spectrum. Yeah. Like I was hiring an assistant six months ago and you could get an assistant for 60K a year or less. <laughs> and yeah. then you could get one for 200K a year. <laughs> like the, yeah. the spectrum is so big. And I was reading a business book the other day that I picked up from the airport. It's It was called Business Made Simple. And I think the author was Donald Miller. And it was one of the first chapters was, uh, and it was targeted towards both business owners and uh, employees. And mm -hmm. one of the first chapters was saying how as an employee, you need to see yourself as a product, right? Like, you know, you need to make sure that you are, and you're an investment for this company. Mm -hmm you're producing a positive ROI for the company, then you're going to end up getting paid more. And then this guy wrote in the book that employees apparently, and I don't know if I agree with this because it was really crazy, but he, he stated that employees should be making the company five times their salary as an investment. And I read that. And I'm like, how was that even possible? Yeah, how I was measure that? I was, I'd love to know your thoughts on that because my employees are definitely not making me 5X their salary for a lot of it. And I've had employees that have lost me money, but I still maybe need yeah. that role. Um, but then I've also fired ones that have not been a positive return on investment either because, you know, it is it is an investment. So from, from your perspective, I'd love to hear from you how much value should a company be getting from an employee? I, I see what he's saying, but it doesn't always work like that, right? right? It's not always a straight line. So for example, an assistant, are they going to make you 5X? So my husband used to always tell me when I was a recruiter, he's like, you're not on the revenue generating side of business. Meaning as a recruiter, I'm a support staff, right? I'm not actually making them money. I'm spending money to hire people, but those people hopefully are going to make them money or help them be more efficient in their process or whatever it is, run the business, right? Right. I think it's very hard to calculate that exactly. So like when I look back and I'm like, okay, was I making, was I making Hulu 5X my salary? Probably depends on how many people I hired, how long they stayed at the company, what their salaries were. So, you know, I think that's a, like just way too complicated of advice to think of. But I see what he's saying that I'm hiring you because I need, I have a problem to solve and I need you to not only help me solve that problem, but in an ideal world also depending on what the role is, help me make money. So like salespeople, it's a very obvious, right? You have a certain quota that you need to sell by. And if you sell that, you get an X amount of bonus. Like that is maybe the most cut and dry one, but most jobs aren't really set up like that. But at the same time, when you think about what the person's going to work on, you always want to be able to draw some clear lines to what are they working on specifically at the business? And is that a something that adds value to the organization? There are, I mean, look at these tech companies that were basically hiring people that they realize they're not adding any value to our organization, right? There's something wrong with the person, but they don't add any value. There's a difference between being indispensable and being invaluable at work. Invaluable people, you can put them anywhere and they bring value to the organization. They're able to create value, create impact. Indispensable is like, wow, you, you're the only person who knows that job and you've been doing it for so long. We don't really want to lose you because honestly, we don't even really understand like what that thing is. But at the end of the day, it, maybe it doesn't matter because what the company needs to survive are these three things over here. Um, so I think it's always really good before you hire someone as a business owner, especially, or even as a company is to get very clear on like, what are they working on? And is it 
adding value to what we need overall as an organization. I mean, there are marketers who spend lots of money for the organization, but the organization hopes that those marketing dollars are going to come back, right? Like it's going to, you know, we're going to spend a dollar and get $2 back, that kind of thing. So um, I don't know if you can always quantify it exactly like that, especially with people, but um, I, I do think it's a valuable exercise to be like, okay, what value am I bringing to the organization? If, if the company only had two things they could focus on tomorrow, what are the top two things? Am I, like, am I on the important agenda or am I just a cog in the wheel? Right. Yeah. So on that kind of note, when do you know if you're ready for a raise or a promotion and how do you go about that? Yeah, I think some people, you know, think it's a time thing. I actually don't think it's a time thing. I don't think you get a raise just because you showed up for 365 days, right? Like that's, you also got a salary. Like, you know what I mean? Like that for me, it doesn't do it. I think you deserve a raise when you have, you can clearly articulate here are the things I've worked on. Here's the difference that they've made. Here's the progress or growth that's happened because of my direct contributions. So you're going to elevate your contributions, right? I did this thing and it helped in this way in the impact. I've done some research into, you know, the compensation equivalent of what this next, you know, this promotion looks like or what that role is, as well as the salary that goes with it. And I'd like to discuss X, Y, Z. So it's, it's not just, Hey, I'm a marketing coordinator and I'm going to stay a marketing coordinator, but I did a really good job at my job this year. Okay, maybe, and that maybe that makes means you get a bonus or something because you did a really good job or something. But to get the raise, which usually comes with a promotion of some sort, we're talking about moving to the next level, to the growth, to adding value. Um, we're talking about are you going to be managing people, leadership position? Are you taking on something um, completely? So I actually, you know. There are organizations that do every year they do, um, I don't know if it's called like a cost of living way or cost of living raise or something like that. But like when I worked at USC, every year we got like a 2% raise and it was just to account for whatever the increase in the cost of living was in Los Angeles. That's different. But I guarantee if you ask someone, are you looking for a 2% raise? They're like, no, 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 I'm looking for more. So some companies will offer that. That's fantastic. But then they're the, the person who's looking for like a much bigger raise. That is like, okay, are you, can you clearly articulate your value and what you've done to help the business grow and what your contribution has been? And then also, have you done salary research on what that number is and why that makes sense and can directly compare it to the things that you're doing? It's not that it's a hard conversation. It's that it needs to be very concise and clear. There can't be too many question marks about, okay, you're asking for this, but I, that's not what I see. So you really have to make your case very clear. Also, I had um, a compensation expert tell me once that one of the best things you can do before you ask for the raise is about four or five months before, have the career only conversation where you're essentially planting the seed of like, what are the most important things here? Um, what are you? What, what are the priorities? What are we really focused on? How's my performance so far? What are things you think I could advance on or improve on? I mean, um, and you have this career only conversation that then you can kind of point back to when you have the race conversation six months from now. So you're getting very, you're getting them to tell you what's important. And then you're going to connect the dots for that later when you ask for the raise. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's really, really brilliant. You can go back to that conversation and uh, just raise your points. So what do successful people do differently at work? <laughs> so I interviewed Jean Chatsky and she actually did a big survey on like basically 
success and by how in kind of the traditional ways that we look at it. And she was like, what do successful people do differently? And I was surprised because they have gratitude. They're more grateful for certain things and have a more optimistic attitude. Um, they have a lot of social capital. So they're, you know, relationship minded, they're building relationships, they're staying in touch with people. That was something. The other thing about being a successful person at work is understanding how do I become that invaluable employee? So how do I bring value to the organization? So those are the people where, like, um, I interviewed this woman, she had a really good metaphor for it. She's like, you need to elevate your contributions. And she's like, think of the waiter where, you're at dinner, you're trying to catch the Broadway show. And they say, they come to you and they say, I know you're trying to catch the Broadway show. So I, I brought your check and this bag, uh, you know, this goodie bag for you before you even ask for it, because I know you're trying to catch a show and I don't want to slow you down. So before you even ask for something, are you the employee who's doing that kind of stuff? Are you the employee who kind of knows where the important things are and you're kind of managing your time to kind of predict and kind of get those things done before the person asks, right? So those are just some things that, again, successful employees do. They're, they're able to, we can put them in any place and they can add value because their critical skills, they say, okay, what's important to know here that I don't know? Okay, what's important to know here that I do know? So those skills just alone can help you be much more successful in the workplace versus the person who says, I'm going to wait for someone to come and tell me what to do. I'm going to wait for that person to tell me that I'm doing it wrong versus, or that it needs to be improved versus me just saying, this is not the most efficient way of doing this system and I'm going to fix it. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. So I want to pivot away from the employment advice and quickly talk about entrepreneurship for a minute. When did you know that you were destined to be an entrepreneur (laughs) and what separates that employee energy to entrepreneur energy? I mean, again, I I sort of, I mean, I I knew I wanted to like build something. I think it wasn't being an entrepreneur. I I really wanted to build something. I would have been happy, I think, doing that inside of a, a, a company. When I first got to Hulu, it was very much a startup, but I felt like I was building things. And then as it became in, in, a, in a good way, it was a startup that was becoming bigger and more successful. And I was doing less building and more maintaining. So for me, I think that's the big thing that makes me happy is this entrepreneurial spirit that I have is that I like to build. Now, I believe you can have this entrepreneurial spirit and be successful as a bis- owning your own business or working with, uh, within another organization. It is very, very hard to run your own business. You are high highs and low lows, sometimes in the same hour of that day. Um, you're in charge of everything. The buck stops with you. You never stop thinking about it. It's, you know, I have two kids and Craig Contessa is definitely my third baby. Not to not sell it. It's also, like I said, has it has amazing moments. But I don't like that there's this thing that I felt like, especially even before COVID that was happening, where there was such a glamorization of entrepreneurship that it was like, make passive income. There's no such thing as passive income. Be an overnight success. There's no such thing as an overnight success. And so, you know, it was like, hustle harder. If you just keep working harder, you'll be successful no matter what. There are plenty of people who work very hard and it doesn't work out for them. I think for me, I fell into entrepreneurship naturally. I wasn't necessarily seeking it out, but it was the avenue I took in order to continue to build. I think I stick with it because it uh, continues to allow me to do that. But I 
don't want anyone to think that somehow they're missing out on that piece of life or of interest in their career because they're not a quote unquote CEO and founder. Right. You know, it really is a title. And I so believe that if you're involved in a company that you're so excited about, especially if it's an earlier stage startup, you could really grow something and benefit as a founder would as well to an extent. Um, getting in early on on a startup that you think will be very successful and getting some equity as well is such a powerful way to find that that form of success too. So do you believe entrepreneurs are born or created? I think they're created. Yeah, I think 100% they're created through experiences. And I think it's definitely a personality trait that maybe, maybe on one hand, you're a little bit born with this interest, but I think it's absolutely something that you create and you kind of, um, you, you strengthen along the way. It's a muscle that gets stronger the more you use it. Right. So if you own a company and you've bootstrapped the whole thing, how do you know when to start potentially getting investors or scaling up and potentially even getting a co-founder or hiring more people? When do you get to that phase? If you have your own business, how do you know when to really start growing? Well, I mean, this is tough for me because I never raise money. I don't have a co-founder, you know? So, I mean, I but I have hired people and I will say I hired people when – and when the role required more than like 80% of like, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't be the person who either did it or managed the person who was doing it. I needed someone who, who could completely own uh, a department. So for us, like having someone on, who owns our content side of our business, we have a lot of content. It's a major piece of our business. Um, I can directly tie it to revenue, right? So our content makes us money and there was an easy way for me to um, connect those dots. That's that's how I've done it. Um, I mean, we're still very much bootstrapped in a very small and lean team. Uh, we use a lot of freelancers. I, I think that the nice thing about freelancers and the gig economy is that there are amazing people that you can hire, hire out there for a very specific skill set. But when you need someone who's not just there for the skill set, but also there for the strategy and the creative thinking and the ideas and you know, people are trying to replace AI with people. And I heard this great quote the other day from um, this woman on my podcast, Joy Pittman. She's like, AI can duplicate, but it can't create. And that's really important. Like if you need someone to create for you, then I think it's time to hire, especially if your bank account allows for it. Right, right. That's such a good point. I use AI a lot for my my business, but more for the very, very basic day-to-day stuff. So as a founder, I ask you, (laughs) how do you not fall into being everyone's friend as the boss? I (laughs) can't people please be a healthy leader at the same time. I've had to learn that the hard way. How do you set healthy boundaries at work? So for me, I think, uh, because I made that mistake where I was like kind of the friendly, go very casual boss. And I will tell you, you get taken advantage of right away. So when I had a a second shot at it in the sense of like, I was like, okay, I'm starting over. I started by creating a lot of structure. So we have an employee handbook and it has all the rules in there, all the, you know, I think people are actually not trying to take advantage of you. It's that they don't know what's to what is expected of them. And so I tried really badly to 
give people that structure and that guidance up front so there weren't any questions, so they understood what's expected of them. A lot of clarity on like, this is your role. These are the KPIs. This is what I want to see. That helped a lot, um, having that structure up front versus creating the structure once something bad happens. Like, oh, that person just like didn't show up today. So now we're going to create a rule about X, Y, Z. Like you can't, you can't just not show up, you know, that kind of thing. That has been really tough. And then the other thing I, I think for managers or leaders and CEOs, especially is like, I think it's really valuable to have a coach for yourself. Somebody who is there to help and support you because you're doing so much helping and supporting of the people on your team. Um, I think it's a really good investment. Talk about the ROI. Like, what's the ROI on you being a better leader? Like, that might be hard to know the exact dollar amount, but you absolutely know there is a return on that investment because your people are your best asset. And so you have to lead and manage them for them to do their best work. Um, That's pretty hard for you to do if you're feeling really depleted. Um, And being a manager, especially the startup founder, CEO role, is really hard because you're trying to build a company, manage a team. And at the same time, you're dealing with someone who's like, so-and-so was supposed to get me this, but we don't have a good communication method. Like you're solving other people's problems. So it's it's a very hard role to be in. that's maybe one of my biggest regrets is that, that I didn't invest in like a business coach or someone who could help me when I did have a bigger team. Now we have a smaller team. So it's a lot different. I think once you get past like five or six people, things change. There's enough people for, you know, and I'm sure you have way more than that, but it's enough people, even like, you know, the tools that you need for the zero to 25, 25 to, you know, 50, 50 to a hundred, like those are different tools along the way that you're going to need. You know, I'm so happy you said this because two weeks ago, I just got my first business coach and this is so perfect timing because you're so right. I needed to hear it. It's it's already after one session, it's made me realize so much. After one session, I realized that I have to turn my phone completely off till 11 a.m. So my team, I trust them. I have amazing team members that can make big decisions for me. I trust them a lot. And I told them, I'm like, listen, I the mornings are when I can do my high-level strategy work. It's when I can be creative and write for the book or create new meditations. I was recording that I, I recorded seven meditations this morning. Wow. I can just focus. And in the past, my biggest thing was I'd wake up, I would go on emails, go on Slack and get caught up. And just two seconds later, it feels I'm like, it's the afternoon. So I started doing this. I've been doing it for a week and it's been life changing. So that's definitely something that I learned from the coach and I'll continue sharing tips on here um, as I continue learning more, but that's a really, really good piece of advice. So I would love to jump into a quick fire work advice round with you. I know we've kind of already been doing a lot of questions, but this is like one sentence or less. Would love to hear from you. What is quiet quitting really all about? People not being engaged at work. If you're excited about what you're working on, you don't just give up and quiet quit. (laughs) Yeah. Really, really. It's like, it's like quiet quitting is like phoning it in. Like you're giving up. You're like, I don't care anymore. Might as well go find a new job. (laughs) Maybe it works for these huge companies with like thousands of employees, but would never work on my watch. No, no. You would be found out very quickly. All right. Three great ways to deal with burnout. Okay. So first thing I would say is if you're burnout work to take a look at the job, the work that you are doing, is it impactful work or is it busy work? 
The second thing I would say is to, oh, I love the email signature. So I have set work hours and I had it in my email signature, I respond to emails between this time and this time. So I was constantly communicating that. I think it helped a lot because I could feel like I could close my door and my laptop at 5 p.m. and things weren't going to burn down. Another thing if you're trying to deal with burnout, I would say is speaking of boundaries, I think boundaries are a big thing of burnout, but you have to create a culture where when you set the boundary, it's respected. Too many times, I know this is more than a sentence, but too many times I see someone try try to set a boundary and someone pushes through it. And so what's, can we create a culture where you say it once, you know, once is enough for someone to say something and then people don't push back or, or even you just get comfortable saying, let me think about that. I'll get back to you in it or get back to you in an email. And it's harder for them to push back in an email versus in person. Right. So should you ever cry at work? (laughs) Yeah, you can definitely cry at work. work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we've all probably have cried at work. Sometimes you, you know, got really tough feedback and it was hard to hear. Sometimes you mess up on a project. Sometimes somebody just wasn't nice to you. Sometimes you cry at work because of your personal life is just overwhelming. You just got a text message. So like, it's absolutely okay to cry at work. I would say that, you know, you don't want it to be your norm because we don't ever want your norm to be that you're crying all day, every day. Um, But I would say if you're having a, really tough day. Mental health days are just as important as quote sick days, PTO, um, take it, use it. And also for me, if I'm going to cry at work, this is just my preference. I'm probably going to excuse myself and go and do a bathroom stall by myself or go for a walk around the block or, or something like that. That's more my style versus like doing it at my desk. So yeah. to each their own, you know, but I, I don't think crying at work it used to be don't bring any of your emotions to work. Uh, I don't think you can help that now. I think work and life are so intertwined. But I would say that instead of going in and pushing through on a really emotional day, I think it's better for you and for everybody to like take the PTO. Yeah. Do what you need to do. Totally. Is work from home here to stay? I hope so, but I don't think so. I think hybrid is where we're all going to settle, which is way more than where we were before COVID. Um, we're hybrid. That wasn't even in our work vocabulary, you know. But I think for some companies, uh, work from home will stay. If things can get better for organizations, they might also continue to be more open to it. But I think hybrid is probably where people are going to settle. Your opinion on a four-day work week? Love it. I wish that was the norm. I really do. No one's working past like one o'clock on a Friday anyway. It's like, you know, I mean, I know they are, but they aren't, you know, and I, I, I think it would actually do a lot for people's mental health and burnout, et cetera, if we could have four day work weeks. Uh, and I also think they'd be much more productive um, if there was four days to get things done versus five. Yeah, we have our Fridays at Superhuman very chilled. We always do some sort of like culture thing on Fridays. Everyone's remote with my company, so it's kind of difficult, but we either do like a team meditation where that I'll guide or we do uh, a lunch all together on Zoom and we're not allowed talking about work. So we've yeah. kind of been integrating that and we don't have Fridays off because there's always like so much going on with our developers and you know, we we have so much going on right now so we don't, but we have a very chilled Friday and I'm sure people, you know, end before 5 p.m. too. 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just like, even if you had like a no meeting Friday, I would take that, (laughs) you know, I would take that for people. Totally. All right. So what about hustle culture? Good, bad, or mislabeled? I I just don't think we need that. I think we've tried it and it didn't, it didn't go well, but I will tell you one of my fears is like hustle culture is on one end of the spectrum. And now I feel like, are we going to this other end of the spectrum where it's going to be like quiet quitting, you know, hate work, don't want to work, whatever it, the extremes are not going to go well for us. Right. So can we find something in the middle, Instagram, TikTok, people who start trends, can we find a good, you know, brand name, like brand it with something uh, trendy to be more in the middle, you know? Oh, we got to think of something. I know. (laughs) Career contest, I can come up with it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. How to fire someone well, a quick script. Uh, you know, that one's really tough because legally (laughs) you like, can't just like fire people quickly. Um, let's do, let's flip it if you're okay with it and do you quitting because employees are allowed to quit. And it's, um, so you would go in there and you would say, Mimi, thank you so much for this opportunity. I want to hand in my letter of resignation for my two weeks notice. I have enjoyed it so much. Uh, my time here working, I've learned X, Y, Z. You've been an amazing leader, but it's time for my next. And because of that, it's time for my next adventure in my career progression. And I'll be leaving in two weeks. All right. And you should always <laughs> do that on a call or in person, never on Slack or what's um, the etiquette here? So the etiquette for resignation letters is um, ideally you write your formal letter you go in, if you're remote, obviously it's uh, Zoom or something like that. I, I think in, as much quote unquote in person as you can be. So going into their office, doing it over Zoom and then emailing them a copy of that resignation letter. So they need to have a physical copy or a real copy that you have resigned, what it is, et cetera. Cool. Best ways to run a meeting? Have an agenda. Don't waste people's time. Be quick. <laughs> be organized. Give people a job. So Mimi, you're going to cover X, you know, Joe, you're going to cover Y, Lauren, you're going to cover this, like give people jobs so they're engaged in part of the meeting. Great. Lastly, what is next for career Contessa? Uh, Well, we, you know, we continue to build out our content and all the different forms that people want. So we've got our podcast, career Contessa podcast, the website, obviously social media, our newsletter, um, you know, one, a couple of our big projects that we had over the last few years was we built an online anonymous salary database. So we're probably going to continue to finesse that and make sure it's a tool that people work. And actually we're getting ready to completely revamp our um, jobs board so that people can not just apply for jobs, but also they can be part of a talent network so people can come and find them and recruit them. So there's so many amazing people in the career contestant community. They deserve to have that. Amazing. I'm so excited for you, Lauren. Thank you so much for your time. Where can everyone find you? Everyone, you guys got to go follow the Career Contessa on Instagram because you guys post such great stuff. Lauren, let us know where everyone can find you and your business. Yeah. So we're at Career Contessa everywhere. CareerContessa.com, Career Contessa podcast, at Career Contessa. Um, I'm at Lauren McGoodwin and also I'm on LinkedIn, Lauren McGoodwin. So you can always add me there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for Thank coming. Thank you. Out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found it insightful, share it with a friend or leave us a rating and a review if you are so kind. We want to bring you more episodes like this. So if you enjoyed it, please do let us know and see you next time.